I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing, actually we're concluding our series this morning called The Unknown God as we are getting to know the uh, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Uh, this Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, we are um, really arriving at the point where this whole series has been taking us. As we've looked in the Gospel of John over these past six weeks, Jesus has been introducing us to the Holy Spirit, but he hasn't come yet. And so this morning we are going to be looking at the passage when the Holy Spirit finally arrives. So um, if you would stand with me and let's give our attention to God's Word. I'm going to read Acts 2. I'm going to skip kind of Peter's sermon just for the sake of length. But I will uh, read most of the chapter. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Peter continues to uh, explain. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but skip down with me to verse 40. Peter concludes, or Luke really summarizes the end of Peter's sermon with these words, and with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, the, the crowd, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. 
This is God's word. It is completely true, and it is given to you because he loves you. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we gather on this Pentecost Sunday, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us new insight into the work of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago and the work of the Holy Spirit today. Please uh, fill this place, fill our lives, fill our city. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, I was talking recently with a friend who is, uh, ex they are expecting their first child. And uh, they were talking about all the preparation that goes into, um, uh, you know, the anticipation of the day when their first child will be born. Talking about the doctor's visits and the developmental milestones um, that their baby is hitting. They're talking about getting the house ready. But mostly, I think they were talking about waiting. And as they were talking, I was remembering back to kind of my wife Ashley's first pregnancy. Um, well, the, the pregnancy with our oldest son. And this, this sense of waiting that just hangs over you for months and months. Pregnancy is about waiting. There's this waiting with a sense of anticipation. Um, I always think it's fun now to talk with couples who are pregnant with their first child and have no idea how much their lives are about to change. You know, the week before, you have so much freedom. Uh, you can go out and see a movie at midnight if you want, and yet uh, one day comes, a day that you don't know exactly when it's going to come, but when it comes, it comes, and everything changes. Everything is completely different when the waiting is done. Of course, we all know what it's like to wait with anticipation for something, even if we're not parents. As kids, we waited with anticipation for our birthdays and for Christmas. I guess now, in a sense, we're all waiting, aren't we? We're in this period where everything has been turned sideways. We are waiting for the spread of the coronavirus to subside we are waiting for restrictions to be lifted, and we know that when our waiting comes to an end, everything will be at least a little bit different. We are in this period of waiting. Well, everything that we've seen over these last six weeks in the series on the Holy Spirit leads up to this moment on Pentecost Sunday 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers. And when we pick up the story in Acts 2, what we see is that the followers of Jesus are waiting together. They are waiting. What are they waiting for? Well, we've seen that Jesus has been telling them that he's about to depart. He's about to go back to the Father. And having given himself up on the cross, died, being buried, raised again on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus uh, then ascends back to heaven as we remembered, I think it was last week on Ascension Sunday. And he has told the believers that they are going to carry on Jesus' mission in the world. The work that he continued to do is going to be carried out by the apostles and by the church that will come uh, through them and really and, and after them. And uh, they are going to do this work, but Jesus has told them, you are not yet ready to do this work on your own, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so until that happens, I want you to wait. 
I want you to wait. He's told them, you're going to go, you're going to take my work to throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but first I want you to wait. Go, but wait. Now, which is it? What's going on? What's happening here, as we talked about last week, is that they need a power to match their mission. And if those who had walked with Jesus for three years, who had witnessed his miracles, who had heard Jesus teaching firsthand, you know, who had eaten those fish and loaves that were multiplied, um, if they did not yet have what they needed to carry on Jesus' mission in the world, apart from the Holy Spirit, then surely we do not have what we need without the Holy Spirit either. We need a power to match our mission. And so Jesus has told the follow, his followers to wait upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we pick up the story in Acts 2, the, uh, the followers of Jesus are waiting. They're waiting with, in, with anticipation for something that will happen at an unknown date. They don't know when it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and everything Everything changes. On this first uh, Pentecost Sunday, well, the first Pentecost really, I guess, in the history of the New Testament church, they're all together, and it says that they heard a sound. Uh, it's described as a mighty rushing wind. Did you know that that phrase doesn't come from the title of a movie, but from the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit comes and makes this noise. The breath of God is roaring into this place. They heard a sound, they saw divided tongues of fire descend on each of the believers, and it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that this happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, what is significant about the day of Pentecost? Well, uh, we, the, the day of Pentecost is one of the three, uh, Pentecost itself is one of the three major festivals in the Jewish calendar. Uh, there was the tabern a festival of tabernacles that we talked about last week. Um, there was the Passover, which is probably the most well-known that celebrates the, uh, the people's de deliverance from slavery as God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt. And it was at this time that Jesus died. And so um, it, was, it becomes this kind of uh, time for Christians to remember uh, Jesus delivering us from slavery to sin. But the third festival is the festival of Pentecost. Pentecost, like the name implies, means 50 days. It, 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 it took place 50 days after the um, celebration of the Passover. And at this time, the Jewish people uh, were spread out throughout the Roman Empire. The Jewish di diaspora had, had taken uh, God's people in the Old Testament to the furthest ends of the earth. And so um, what happened significantly during this time is that Jewish pilgrims would often come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And because it was only 50 days later, they would stay for Pentecost. And so it's during this time that the city is filled with uh, people from the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire who are just about to leave to go back to their own places, you know, their own homes, when the Holy Spirit shows up. This is what's happening 
when the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, what's, what's the significance of Pentecost? What were they celebrating? Well, there are two things that the Jews celebrated during Pentecost. Uh, it was the beginning of the harvest. It was this time when what, it, what had been planted and nurtured was about to be gathered in. But also, it was the time that they remembered God giving the law through Moses at Mount Sinai after they had come out of slavery in Egypt. If you remember Moses, the old man goes up on this mountain and he meets with the Lord and he brings down two tablets of stone on which were written the Ten Commandments. And when Moses brings the Ten Commandments down, the people, having kind of gotten bored, have, have started worshiping a golden calf. And it says that the anger of the Lord broke out against the people and 3,000 people died that day. Okay, so on Pentecost... Listen to this. The people received the law of God on tablets of stone and 3,000 people died. That's what they're remembering. Then, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit. What happens at this Pentecost? Well, at this Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and the law of God is written on human hearts and 3,000 people are reborn into newness of life. It's a remarkable day. It's remarkable in terms of what they experienced. A mighty rushing wind. Flames of fire descending on, uh, on, on each of the believers. The followers of Jesus speaking in tongues. And that, that word for tongues is, is just the word for languages. They, they spoke in, the, in languages that they hadn't, hadn't yet learned. And so these, these Jewish pilgrims from all of these far places in the Roman Empire that... Uh, you know, the, the names I read a moment ago, heard them speaking in their own, in their own language. Um, these people are hearing the mighty acts of God uh, described for them. It's remarkable. The New Testament church is born and around 3,000 new converts enter into the kingdom of God that very day. It is a day that quite literally everything changed. And the crowds, it says, the multitude um, who observe and experience these events, they wonder what is going on. They ask two questions. What does this mean? And what should we do? What does it mean? And what should we do? Let's, let's, let's dive into those two questions this morning. What does this mean when the crowds in Jerusalem see this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit filling the followers of Jesus, and they begin speaking in other languages, explaining the mighty works of God, it says in verse 12, that the multitude of people were amazed and began saying to each other, what does this mean? And Peter gets up, and he explains what it means. And he preaches the first Christian sermon, but he really says two things in answer to the question, what does this mean? First, it means that the crucified Jesus is now the reigning Lord. The crucified Jesus is now the reigning Lord. Verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the first thing that happens is that you believe in Jesus and you are enabled to speak about Jesus. You know, there are lots of 
Christians that get ourselves tied up in a, in a bunch over what is going on uh, in this account of the first day, the day of Pentecost. And especially when we think about the extraordinary signs and gifts that the Holy Spirit manifests in believers, and we get very caught up in talking about what does this mean, and why are they speaking in tongues, and these the gifts of tongues and prophecy especially, and where are these signs in our lives or in the church today? But you know, if you were to get in your car, and you were to head south on the 5 freeway for about, I don't know, 40 miles, you would eventually see a sign that says, Welcome to San Diego. And it would be very strange if when you saw that sign that says, Welcome to San Diego, you pulled your car over on the side of the freeway and got, up, got out of the car and set up your picnic uh, and enjoyed San Diego right there by the sign as traffic flies by on the 5 freeway. Because what we know about a sign is that the sign is pointing beyond itself to a larger reality. The sign that says, Welcome to San Diego, isn't San Diego itself, but it's pointing to the greater reality that is a city called San Diego. And so it is with Pentecost. We can get caught up in talking about these signs themselves and miss the reality that these signs are pointing to, which is Jesus. And these extraordinary signs, tongues, and prophecy at their most fundamental level are about people explaining the gospel of Jesus, talking about who Jesus is. And so a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is a person who, by the power of the Spirit, has met Jesus. A person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is a person who has put their trust in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. It's a, a person who has been filled with the Holy Spirit is a person who has felt the weight of guilt for their sin lifted off of their shoulders as Jesus has taken it upon himself and forgiven you of your sin. A person uh, filled with the Holy Spirit has met Jesus, but a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is able to talk about, uh, uh, talk about Jesus, um, to say, I believe that Jesus is the one God has sent into the world to forgive me and to, to make everything right, and I believe that this is true. And I don't believe it just as, as a, you know, an opinion about the way that I choose to live my life, but I believe this as public truth that changes everything about the world and my place in it. The crucified Jesus is now the reigning uh, Savior, the reigning Lord. We see these extraordinary gifts uh, manifested here in the book of Acts, and yet uh, Jesus, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to confess faith in Jesus and to speak about Jesus far more often in ordinary ways than he does in extraordinary ways. And yet the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit to uh, confess and speak about Jesus is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. The crucified Jesus is now the reigning Lord. That's the first thing that the presence of the Holy Spirit means. But the second thing, this also means that the people of God are now the temple of God. The people of God are now the temple of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God makes it clear that he wants to relate to his people, not just the way like a king relates to his subjects, not the way even a father relates to his children, but the way a husband relates to his bride. God wants to live with his people. 
The problem is that God's people are corrupt and full of sin, and a holy God cannot dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And so, in the Old Testament, God's people, uh, God tells his people to build the temple. And the temple in Jerusalem is the, the place where God dwells in the midst of his people, but he's hidden away uh, in the kind of holy, in the holy of holies in the, in the temple. Uh, in this room where the, the holiest man can only enter on the holiest day, uh, only once a year. And so we've seen, and we've talked about this uh, over the past couple months, that on the day that Jesus died, as Jesus is crucified, the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is no longer hidden away from God's people, but is released out into the world. And it is here that as the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, that the presence of God is now manifest in God's people. The presence of God is no longer hidden away from God's people, but has been unleashed into the world, and the Holy Spirit fills. And notice this, it says that all who were gathered there were filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no category in the Bible for you know, a sort of Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit and a Christian who is not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that all who were gathered are filled with the Holy Spirit. All Christians are filled with the presence of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. It governs everything about the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with one another. And so what that means, friends, is that the time of waiting is over. The time that God's people had been waiting for is over. The believers were together in a house and the Holy Spirit comes and it says that the Holy Spirit filled the house that they were in. And then he filled the people who were there and then they went out and filled the city. And even at the end of this chapter in Acts 2, it says that there were about 3,000 people who were uh, converted to faith in Jesus. And then by chapter 4, it says that it's 5,000, but that's just the men, so several, you know, many multiples of that in all likelihood. And then by Acts 5, the authorities arrest Peter and the apostles, and they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You see what's happening? When the Holy Spirit comes, he fills the place, and then he fills the believers, and then he sends the believers out into the city, and they fill the city. This is how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit is the power that we need to carry out the mission Jesus has given to us. The Holy Spirit is the power we need to continue the work of Jesus in our time and in our place. The day of Pentecost means that power has been unleashed in the world, and the time that we have spent waiting, the time that we have spent sitting on our hands has come now to an end. The spirit of mission has come to call us to faith in Jesus and to enable us to carry on that mission, that spirit-empowered mission of Jesus to be his witnesses in our world. This is what it means. So then the crowd hears Peter's explanation and they ask a second question. Having heard what it means... They now ask, what should we do? Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What should we do? You should put your trust in Jesus. Believe, repent, and be baptized. If the crucified Jesus has become the reigning Lord, then the most natural thing in the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and enables you to recognize Jesus for who he is, the most natural thing in the world is to lay down your project of sort of self-improvement DIY in your identity based on your worth and your work and what you can cobble together and identify yourself with Jesus. Confess our faith in him. Join his family, the church, through baptism. If you have questions about how to do that, I would love to, I would love to follow up with you. If you're uncertain about where you stand with God, I would, I would urge you to simply pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to me? Would you make him known to me? But then notice what Peter says will be the result. Repent and be baptized. Put your trust in Jesus and he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the permanence of Pentecost. This promise is as true for us today on Pentecost Sunday in 2020 as it was 2,000 years ago. Every believer who has put their trust in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and called by Jesus to carry out his work in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit in our time and in our place. The Spirit who filled the place fills the believers, and through the believers, he then fills the city. So what would that look like for us in Orange County in 2020? What, what would this mean for us? Well, I want to encourage you to um, consider the work of the Holy Spirit in this passage, as it applies to us, I want to encourage you to think about the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of form and fire. Form and fire. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a flavor of Christianity that is all about chasing the fire. It is filled with enthusiasm and excitement. It is passionate about prayer and worship, and yet without attention to form. It's often just empty enthusiasm. It often comes down to an obsession with individual feelings. And it can become disillusioned with God when he does not operate according to the expected timetable. There is a danger of pursuing fire without form. We also know that there is a flavor, there are flavors of Christianity that focus far more on the form than on the fire. Focusing on the form means focusing on things like correct doctrine, doctrinal precision, spiritual formation, on doing everything decently and in order. But taken to an extreme, this short sort of church descends into, more, descends into a mere formalism. A church that checks all the right boxes but is empty of life and power. A faith that becomes full of drudgery, a faith that seems to expect defeat. What we see in Acts 2 
We see here next to that when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with both form and fire. I mean, think about this. The fire is obvious. I mean, there is actually fire <laughs> mentioned. But he comes like a mighty rushing wind. What does that mean? The, the breath of God, the ruach, the pneuma of God uh, blows. He roars. He is, he is not, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not a domesticated God. The Holy Spirit blows wherever he wishes. Uh, there is energy and there is power when the Holy Spirit comes with fire. And also, it says that those who are filled with the Spirit, listen, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, to fellowship and generosity. It's all very neat and orderly there, isn't it? We have to pay attention to forms. Um, we, have to, we have to regularly gather together for worship as God's people. Uh, this, is, this is why we emphasize at our church things like uh, the daily office of developing a, a daily pattern of uh, spending time with God in scripture and in prayer. This is why we do community groups. This is why we celebrate the sacraments. Uh, the structures are important. The structures of spiritual formation and personal piety, these forms are incredibly important in the Christian life because when we pay attention to these forms, we are carving out like trenches or sham canal, uh, canals rather in our lives uh, where the Holy Spirit then fills them with the fire of his power and his presence. It's, think about this. It's through familiarity with Scripture that God um, kind of brings breakthrough in our mission. I mean, even just in this passage, it's Peter gets up and quotes the Old Testament. He is so saturated in, in these forms, right, that when the, the Holy Spirit comes with fire, that he is able to simply go where the Spirit leads. It's through familiarity with scriptures that we experience breakthrough in mission. It's through dedication to prayer that we are transformed by God's presence. Form and fire have to go together. And we have to be honest, Resurrection OC, that if anything, we are a church that is tempted towards formalism and suspicious of God coming as fire. Dennis Johnson professor at Westminster Seminary in his commentary on the book of Acts, he warns Christians like us, Christians that are tempted and are prone towards formalism, he warns of a sort of functional deism. Deism is this belief that there's a God with sort of Judeo-Christian, you know, values who created the world and wound it up and then went really, really far away and just lets the world operate on its own. Dennis Johnson says this, he said, we would never say this out loud, but our meager prayer lives, our anxiety, our dependence on techniques for evangelism, our hope in technology to solve spiritual problems, our doubt that loving discipline can be the thing to restore wandering brothers and sisters, all these testify to our unspoken assumption that God's real action is in the past and the future. But when it comes to the present, we would prefer that God would just leave us alone. We can say all of the right things about God, 
But unless we are calling for the, not just the form, but the fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the life and power of God in us and through us and through us to the city, then we are functionally saying, God, would you just leave me alone? So friends, I want to invite you to pray with me that the Holy Spirit would move in our midst in form and in fire. This past week, um, my wife Ashley and I uh, got to catch up with some friends we haven't talked to in a few years, uh, friends who are, are missionaries, um, and, um, and we were, they were just talking about their, the way that they have been praying lately. And uh, they, they said to us, they said, we've come to the conviction that most of us pray, we make our plans, and then we pray that God would bless our plans, and, and what we're doing is we're sort of asking God to do more with our plans than we could do on our own. And they're saying, we're trying to flip that, and we're trying to begin to pray that God would get more of us into his plans. You know, uh, Resurrection OC, if you have been around for any length of time, you know that I have tried really hard <laughs> to get God to bless more of my plans. And I wonder what it would look like for us as a church to begin to pray that God would get more of us into his plans. In the coming weeks, things are going to change. We are slowly going to come out of our homes. We are going to, in some way, shape, or form, be able to regather, presumably, as a church. And I wonder if you would begin to pray that God would fill this place and that he would fill us and that he might fill Orange County through us. Would you pray that prayer with me? Friends, I, I need to warn you that when we begin to gather together, there may not be many of us there. And it may be tempting to look around and think, what in the world could God do with us? But when you read the scriptures, it seems that God's plans often begin with a small group of people. You know, in the, the book of Ezekiel, Jason quoted this earlier in our service. The people of God were dwindled down, you know, to just a few people. And Ezekiel receives this vision that God's going to place his spirit within us and... and, and um, Give us new hearts, and, and Ezekiel must be wondering, God, how in the world are you going to do this when almost nobody is following you right now? And God gives Ezekiel a vision where he takes him, uh, takes Ezekiel in this vision to a valley, it says, of dry bones. He's in a valley of skeletons. He's saying, Ezekiel, <laughs> do you think working with only a few, a handful of people is a problem for me. Look at what I can do. I can build an army out of skeletons. And he says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, preach to the bones. Well, first he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel's like, God, I don't even know. Only you know, God. And he says, Ezekiel, preach to the bones. And he begins to preach. And he hears a rattling. His bones begin to come together. And then he says, God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, call for the wind. And the, the wind, like 
a mighty rushing wind, the breath of God rushes into the place and, and, and these bones are, are brought back together and skeletons are formed and, and, and corpses and then these corpses come to life. And there's a mighty army ready to carry out God's will. And God is saying, don't you underestimate what I can do. There may be only a few of us, there are only a few of them gathered together on Pentecost Sunday, 2,000 years ago. Only a few people who are waiting on God. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. And by the end of the day, God has already added 3,000 people to their number. Friends, the crucified Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. He has sent his Spirit into the world. Would you pray with me that he would fill this place, that he would go on filling us, and that he would use us to fill Orange County? I pray that you would develop a holy discontent, that you would not be satisfied with the status quo. But in this time when everything Everything has changed one way or another. Would we begin to pray that God, by his spirit, might change this place because he's changed us? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have made him known to us in your word and in our experience. Jesus, would you continue to do the work that you began as, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you fill South Orange County with us? Would you do more than we can ask or imagine? Would you cause us to confess faith in Jesus? Would you cause us to stand and speak in a world, in a culture that has lost its purpose and say that the crucified Jesus has become Lord? Would you cause us to be a people, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that don't simply uh, reserve those privileges for ourselves, but go out into the world as the presence, as the temple of God, bringing the presence of God uh, into the daily lives of those we meet? God, this is not too hard for us, so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you use us in Jesus' name.